the American people will soon find out if the United States is going to war. Fires are raging across Brazil's Amazon rainforest. At the stroke of midnight, the U.S. hit China with tariffs on $34 billion worth of goods. Hurricane Dorian made landfall with wind speeds of 185 miles per hour. Multiple drones bombed Saudi Arabia's largest oil facilities today. 60,000 people have fled their homes in northeastern Syria. It's like these 500-year floods or 100-year floods. They're happening every other year. Anti-government protesters in Hong Kong have taken to the streets. The magnitude 7.1 quake was felt from Los Angeles all the way to Nevada. It is one of the worst escalations of violence on the Israel-Gaza border in years. The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Randy Reams is pastor of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. Join Pastor Randy now as he shares truths from God's unchanging word. When Cyrus becomes the ruler of all this, he goes just as the Bible says, actual directions. And, and he conquers Babylon in June. How can I? June 5. 39 BC. We know that because the Babylonian Chronicles and these thing, other things like this, they actually mention dates. But when he therefore takes the Babylonian throne, he by default gets all the, ba- the Neo-Babylonian Empire's territory, which includes Jerusalem and Israel. Now it says that this beast, no one could stand before him. No one could rescue. He did what he pleased and magnified himself. Okay. The dude, I mean, Cyrus, because he's called Cyrus the Great, is unstoppable. In his lifetime, he was. Now, his son, Darius the Great, does try to take Greece later, and he actually loses that at the Battle of Marathon. Anybody ever heard of that? Where we get the term marathon. When the Greek won, they sent a runner back to Athens to tell of this victory over the greatest army on the planet. Okay. Not giving up, Xerxes, Cyrus's grandson, also tries to go into Greece. He doesn't make it. He's defeated at the Battle of Thermopylae. Anybody ever heard of that before? Do you remember history at all? What's interesting in there, at the most conservative numbers, the Greeks were outnumbered 20 to 1. It's an interesting thing you need to read. How in the world... Uh, that's a small number, about 150,000, saying there's only 150,000 of the, of the Persians. Uh, most estimate somewhere around 300,000. That would make it 40 to 1, and the Greeks win. This is very, very important. The Greeks win that, and that holds and weakens the Persian Empire. Because the goat that shows up in the picture here in this vision... Okay, comes from the west, all right, without touching the ground, it says, which means did it quickly. That is Alexander the Great, but he defeats the Persian Empire by the time he is 22 years old. If you got anybody know Alexander the Great, I mean, he conquers the known world by the time he's 32 years old. What's interesting is, in Ezekiel 26, there's a prophecy about the city of Tyre. Mm, okay, so 
about up here where you see Jerusalem. I don't want to get out of the camera there. About Jerusalem, Tyre is in Lebanon. So if you know where Israel is, Lebanon's just south of there. All right, the city of Tyre. All right, Nebuchadnezzar had sacked that city, but he couldn't take the island because there was the part of the city, the old city that was on the mainland. There was this part of this island. Ezekiel prophesies that eventually the bricks, the buildings, the stuff of Tyre are going to be cast into the sea. When Alexander takes Tyre, he can't get across from the mainland to the island. He takes the rubble from the destruction of Tyre by Nebuchadnezzar and builds a land bridge. You can go to look at Google Earth. That land bridge is now built on. A part of the city now extends. It's not an island anymore. And that was in 332 B.C. So this, it's fast. This, these other guys, if you like the Medipers started in 700, it takes hundreds of years for them to get this kind of power. Alexander does it fast. But then it says in verse 8, As soon as he was mighty, at the height of his power, the horn was broken off. Alexander's in Babylon, dies of some kind of fever at 32, like that. If you guys know your history at all, okay? I'm not saying you have to know. I'm trying to help out a little bit. This he, he dies very quickly. And then verse, the second half of verse 8 says this. In his place, there came up four conspicuous horns. Next picture, please. 22 years of civil war after Alexander dies. He doesn't leave an heir. Bunch of the generals and people fight over it. And there's four main kingdoms that come out of that. You can see the breakdown on the screen, the Seleucid, the Ptolemies, and so on. But the, the Seleucid and the Ptolemies are the most important. You guys, who, who's one of the most famous Ptolemies? The last Ptolemy, Cleopatra. When all this gets broken up, it is the Ptolemies who have rule over Jerusalem. Later, the Seleucids come in and get that part of it. But to begin with, the Ptolemies do that. One of the, the Ptolemies, if I remember his name, it's like Philadelphus, where we get the Greek word phileo, Greek word for love, okay? But what happens is because of these four kingdoms, that all the known world is Hellenized. That is, they start absorbing the Greek culture and speak the Greek language. So uh, Philetus, comes along and it says, goes to the Jewish people and says, I would like some of your best scholars to translate your religious book, which we would know as the Old Testament, into Greek. He takes them to Alexandria, supposedly 70 of them. Septuagint, septa meaning 70. So when you see abbreviation in scholarly works, LXX in capital letters, in particular in the area of Bible study, they're talking about the Septuagint. These guys, they have a big dinner, according to history, and then they set out to translate the Old Testament into Greek. And if I recall, that's completed like 228 or something B.C., something like that. So, so that's the impact that this Hellenization is having. When the New Testament... When they quote scripture in the New Testament, they quote the Septuagint. There's also something called the Messianic text, or Messianic, Masseronic text, excuse me, 
Um, and people argue which is the best text to use for translating. All I know this, when I want to look at the words used in the New Testament, they, they correspond almost exactly with the Septuagint. Jesus and the disciples are quoting from this thing that happened because of Alexander and the breakup of this kingdom. So the next part that happens in the dream, the reason I point this out is Septuagint is completed about 110 to 120 years, depends on where everybody picked the dates, you know, everybody wants to argue over dates, before the next part of the vision is fulfilled. That is important. Many people want to say that Daniel was written after the events. The problem is, then, then I guess there was no Septuagint. The Greek version of the Hebrew text. It's finished before the events take place. And it says that this horn grew up through the host of heaven and caused some of the hosts and some of the stars to fall. Who are these? What are they? Well, in verse 24, it tells us that he will destroy the mighty men, the holy people. In chapter 12, basically, the obedient, faithful ones. Put another way, he will wage war against the saints. Holy people, holy being sanctos in Latin. Leaven, and he magnified, it magnified itself, made itself equal to the commander of hosts. There isn't about anybody out there who does, well, there's a few, um, that don't argue that this speaks of Antichus IV, or also known as Antichus Epiphanes. Anybody ever heard of that? Okay, Uh, because particularly what it said on some of the coins of his coins from his day that they have, Theos Epiphanes means God manifest. He declared himself to be God manifest. That's pretty bold stuff. And he ends up going into Jerusalem because the Ptolemies weaken in power. The Seleucids come in. He's a Seleucid king. He now has the power over Jerusalem. But he wants to Hellenize the Jews, get rid of Jewishness and have only Greekness, if I could say it like that. So he wants to put into the religion, their practices. and so He builds a gymnasium at the foot of the temple mount. Now, we think of a gym in one way, but it was not just an athletic center. It was a place where you taught the young. Let me put it up. He put up a public school and said, everybody's got to go to this school. But when they did athletics, I don't want to be crass here, but the Greeks, how were the Greeks closed when they did athletics? I'll leave that. At the foot of the Temple Mount. Of course, this is sacrilege to the Jews. This all leads up to the Maccabean revolts where the Jews revolt against that. Okay, that's where it leads to. Eventually, uh, when it says, verse 11, it, the ram, the horn, excuse me, removed the regular sacrifices and so on and placed the sanctuary and threw it down. Antiochus, actually, his troops go in and erect a pagan idol in the temple and puts an end to all the daily sacrifices. So you can read that in 1 Maccabees chapter 1 through 4. Okay, that, that, that historical document. He burns all the Old Testament books he can find, rips them up, burns them. So how important is it that there's a version of the Old Testament in Greek down in Alexandria? Just saying. Okay, God didn't know that was coming though, right? Anyway, all right. 
And uh, I won't go into details of how he tortured and killed the Jewish people. It's, it's quite grotesque. You can read it in 1 Maccabees if that's what you wish to do. But then we see in the, the vision here that Daniel has that these holy ones, these angelic beings, are speaking to one another. And one of them asked, how long will the vision about the regular sacrifices apply? How, how long will this regular sacrifice part land? He does not say, how long till this, this vision starts? That's not the question. The question is a particular part of this vision. From the, the time that the sacrifices, the daily sacrifices are stopped. Now there's two daily sacrifices. One in the morning and one in the evening. You can look at that over in Exodus. Okay, Exodus 29. How, how long is this where there's going to be no sacrifices in the temple? That's the question. He says 2,300 morning and evenings. Now this is where everybody does the try to fix the rabbit. What's 2300 mean? I, I think it means prophetic days, and so that's 2300 years. And I'm just taking scripture. There's an evening and a morning sacrifice. So if there's 2300 of them, how many days is that? Half of 2300. 1150. I'm just taking, because scripture just tells me there's two sacrifices, a morning and an evening. And we see mornings and evenings, plural. In the Hebrew, it's not plural, it's single. The morning. And the evening. There'll be 2300 morning and evening. Because there's a single sacrifice in the morning, a single sacrifice in the evening. Okay? We learn from 1 Maccabees the exact date that these sacrifices were stopped. Kaislev, or December 15th, the year 167 BC. We know from Maccabees chapter 4. Again, they're historical documents. They're not Bible, but they're historical documents. That they, after the Maccabean revolt and the, and the Jewish people get back control of the temple, this kind of thing, in December 25th, 164 BC. So let me put it another way. Three years Ten days, but we got a problem. Herodias, that historian, tells us that the Greeks, like the Jews, I know I'm technical here, but I'm doing it on purpose, their calendar was 360-day years. What happens when you have a year of 360 days is you, all of a sudden the seasons get off with where the sun is. So even today in the Jewish calendar, on the religious calendar, they add an extra month. We know from Herodias they did it every other year. So there's 360 this year, but this year there's 390, and this year there's 390. I just add up that three-year period of time and the 10 days and the difference between December 15th and December 25th. I get exactly 1,150 days. Exactly. From the time the sacrifices were stopped to the time the sacrifices began again. That's pretty particular. That's not a fortune teller saying you're going to meet a, a handsome fellow someday. Uh, or, oh, oh, you know, oh, read your fortune cookie. All right. You've got great things to look forward to. It's not like that. It's specific number of days. 
That's a sacrifice as well. That's pretty accurate. But that liberty, by the way, of the Jews don't last very long because by 63 BC, the Romans have taken over Jerusalem. The thing about this is it throws a lot of people off. There are those who want to argue against this exact prophecy of Antiochus Epiphanes, all right? Because they see all of this as future. Then you have a group called Preterist. They see all the Bible prophecies as past. There aren't any more in that sense, all right? But the reason is in this, the angel says, I'm showing you, I'm, I know you're seeing these kingdoms right now, but I'm actually showing you the end. So, in Scripture, as you know, there is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. A type. A lamb. A scapegoat. The Passover. Those are all types and shadows of the archetype, which is Christ in the New Testament, which is greater than the type of the Old Testament. This is a type of the Antichrist who will do this very similar things. Now, I got a chart up there. Let's throw this chart. The reason I want to say to you, this isn't the Antichrist itself, this horn, because there's the differences up there you could see. The Antichrist shown in the previous visions, particularly the one of the statues and so on, they come out of the ten horns. It's related somehow to Rome. This isn't ten horns. This is out of four kingdoms. I'm not going through everything. that. But here's the point. If he was right, about Antiochus Epiphanes, is he right about the Antichrist? If he can name the number of days the sacrifices will be shut down, any of the prophecies about the Antichrist and known about times, times and a half, which we'll get to next week, is that true too? Point here. God knows tomorrow. God wasn't setting, heaven, setting up in heaven a year and a half ago. Uh-oh, COVID, what am I going to do now? God knows what's ahead. On Isaiah, again, in Isaiah 46.10, I believe it is, God declares, this is how you know I'm different than all the other gods, all other beings, is I declare the end, I do it at the beginning. Dead on, precise, always right, prophecy, God says, that's a sign, it's me. This is why in the Old Testament, if you had a prophet that was wrong once, you stoned him. Because he was declaring himself to be a voice of God. And if he was wrong, it wasn't God. Next time you're watching certain Christian television, keep that in mind. Okay? He knows tomorrow. Whatever you're in right now is not a surprise to God. The travail, the trouble the Jewish people would go through. As he probably wasn't surprising to God, he knew. As you heard me read to the kids, John 17 and 17, it says, Sanctify me, purify me, make me holy with truth. Well, how do I know what truth is? Your word is truth. Now, I can show you videos on a thing called Road Trip to Truth. You can go online, you can see them online, they have clips of them. They're standing on college campuses talking to young adults. And well, truth is relative. And what they mean by that is, but there was a truth that actually happened somewhere in there, but these young people argue that. Truth is 
well, how you perceive it. Even though two people can have an absolutely opposing views, it's true for both. Matter of fact, I can, if you care to do that, I could send you a view where they actually will tell you there's no moral truth and you cannot say what the Nazis did to the Jews is a moral wrong. That's how far they've come when you don't recognize there is truth. What is truth? Your word is truth. That's it. I don't care how many bones they dig up to say 90 bazillion years old. I don't, they weren't there. God was. You can have the eyewitness or you can have somebody who's digging up a bone. And we won't even talk about presuppositionalism that comes into that picture. God's word is true. When he says it, you can count on it. You can trust on it. If you confess your sins, he is faithfully and just to forgive you your sins. Yeah, but I don't feel forgiven. Oh, that's your perspective. But then there's a God perspective. When he justifies, you are righteous before God. It doesn't matter what you feel. His word is true, not your feelings. Your feelings are real. They just don't necessarily represent truth. When it says, nothing shall separate me from the love of God. You know what that means? Nothing. And he lists a whole bunch of things on there that it won't. You know what else is on that list? You. When God regenerates, when God justifies, when God atones, that's it. There are many people who want to come to tell you that eternal life doesn't mean eternal. Really? Well, it's eternal until you do enough sins and then you lose eternal life. Uh, excuse me, by definition, then it's not eternal. God's word is true. You can count on it. When he says that there's going to be an Antichrist, you can count on it. When he says that Jesus is going to reign on earth, you can count on it. When he says that he'll take his own into a new heaven and a new earth, that we will live with him forever, you can count on it. Well, where's the test tube? Can I measure that? How about measuring to the exact day that a non-Christian, non-Jewish king would put an end to the sacrifices in Jerusalem on an exact day that they're restored, they're restored on the exact day. Oh, but that's only one. I mean, it could be coincidence. I don't got time to go through with you all the prophecies in Scripture that came true. Cyrus was named that he would be the one that comes in with the Medo-Persian Empire 140 years before he was even born. Names his name. You can count on what God says in his word. And where I want you to apply that today is what he has said about what he does for you when you were born again. That's where I want... I, well, God told me that I'm going to prosper and have a lot of... Get out of that. He also says you're going to suffer with him. Count that promise. I'm talking when he says to you that you have believed and put your faith in him. What he says about that is it. There are no other opinions that matter, only his. In John chapter 6 and chapter 10, but in John he says, I will lose none that the Father has given me. Is that true? So how many will he lose? So can you lose your salvation? 
I don't care how you feel. Well, I got a friend, and this friend that, and I, this happened in their, yeah, yeah, but that ain't truth. The word is truth. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and King Lord, that will never change. Perhaps in your life, there's a lot of things right now in our world, especially with COVID, right? Just so uncertain. But some things don't change like God and his word. By the way, that's the intro to the radio show. Truth from God's unchanging word. It is, I'm asking you today to put your faith in the word of God, both as it's written and the word of God that became flesh. Jesus came to show that everything that was written about him, even on in Psalms 22, everything written about him. Yeah, I am the word to show you that I promised a savior. That I promised. And this is proof, evidence that that word came and walked among us. A lot of things in your life might be unsure, uncertain. I ask you today to put your life into the thing that is certain. The Word made flesh. Jesus himself made a promise that you put your trust in him for your eternal state, not in your works, not how often you come to church, how much you give in the offering, whether you told the lie at work or how often you read your Bible, all the important things. You put your trust in his life and his work. That you can count on as much as there was a guy in history named Antioch Epiphanes. Let's stand. Lord Almighty, we thank you that you see tomorrow before it's ever here. You've been there and back. Those right now, oh God, that feel the conviction of your spirit, that are recognizing they need to have that want true Christ to hang on to. Before they heard this message today, you saw that they would be there at this place, that you would be calling them to you. God, I thank you that we can build our life on the truth, the truth of Christ our Savior and his word. Father, help us to cling to that truth in our hours of uncertainty. And then, O oh God, when this life is over and done, we will stand with you and know all that you declared for certain. We'll see it then is true. Help us to keep the faith, O oh Lord, I pray. Amen. This is Pastor Randy Reams, and I want to thank you for joining us today for Truths from God's Unchanging Word. This broadcast is a ministry outreach of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. And if you'd like to hear this message in its entirety or other messages, just visit kindredbible.org forward slash media. And there you can also subscribe to the podcast. If you're being ministered to by this broadcast, I'd like to ask you to consider financially supporting this ministry. Giving is easy. Just go to kindredbible.org forward slash give. There you can make a one-time gift or you can choose to become a monthly supporter. But if you prefer, you can send your gift to KBC, P.O. Box 32, Nampa, Idaho, 83653. 
Your prayers, words of encouragement, and financial support helps ensure that this broadcast will continue to be heard in your region and around the world. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to Truths from God's Unchanging Word.